Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad to see you here today. It's good to uh, gather in Christ's name with with Christ's people uh, to worship our Lord together, and we welcome everyone. We welcome our guests, especially. You're very important to us. We're we're so glad that you are here today, and hope you'll feel very much part of our family as we worship God together. Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to take those and to fill them out and uh, so we could have a record of your attendance with us and pass them down the row so others can fill them out as well. And uh, if, you'd, if you'd like to receive our email newsletter, please be sure to put your email address on there and we'll get you on that list. It's a great way to keep up with the activities of, uh, that we have going on at Community Baptist Church. Speaking of which, uh, we have some things that are coming up. Uh, that I'd like to call to your attention. <clears throat> Please uh, take note in your worship folder that uh, that there are some committees that are coming up. See, so uh, uh, confer with that to see if there's something that involves you in one of those committees that's coming up. I think we have a couple today, as a matter of fact. And coming up in a few weeks, uh, the Kentucky Baptist Fellowship Spring Gathering will take place at Campbellsville University. That's April the 22nd and 23rd. Um, uh, this is a, a great opportunity for worship and to learn about what's going on at the Kentucky Baptist Fellowship. We'll be uh, gathering with other Baptists, like, like-minded Baptists from around Kentucky, and uh, worshiping together and uh, planning missions together and celebrating together because this year marks our 25th year of existence. So it'll be a great time, and we encourage uh, as many people as possible to uh, join us down at Campbellsville University on April the 22nd and 23rd. Uh, Also on June the 12th through the 18th coming up, I know that's a few months away, but it's not too early to start planning and put that on your calendar. We have uh, the Extreme Build, which also is sponsored by the Kentucky Baptist Fellowship. June 12th through the 18th, there's a sign-up sheet on the table. We'd like to ask you you to sign up. And and if you would, you don't have to go for the whole week, but uh, you can, but or any part of that. If, but if you would uh, put the dates that you will uh, be going, that will help us in making reservations for uh, lodging that uh, during that week. It's a great time. We build a house, literally, in one week's time. It's amazing to see this happen. And it's a lot of fun. You learn a lot. You uh, meet a lot of great new people. And so I encourage as many of you as possible to attend June 12th through 18th. Also, we had an event here last night. We were hosting the Brain Injury Adventure Camp Prom, and it was a wonderful event from what I understand. Uh, I think we have some pictures that will go up. And, Mark, you want to say something about uh, what took place last night? Yes, if you weren't here last night, you missed it. We had probably close to 300 participants and volunteers. We had uh, a DJ, of course, and, and we had... The entire building inside was decorated just like the big top. It probably shows. But thanks, John Dunham. He, he came and took photos. Uh, had a photo booth, and he had food, and we had just a great time. Look at that. Who's that? Nora Hobson. And our feet are tired this morning. But we sure appreciate the church, uh, you know, allowing us to hold that function here. It's a great partnership with the Brain Injury Adventure Camp, and hope you can come and be a part of it next year. Thank you. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty great decorations there. I, I wish they'd stay, left them up there. I, wouldn't it be cool to? Yeah, wouldn't it be. Uh, yeah, I bet you were tired when it's over. <laughs> Too tired to take them down. But uh, it'd be cool to worship under the big top like that. That'd be, that'd be really neat. One other thing I want to bring to everyone's attention today, and as a way of saying thank you, uh, as many of you know, we have uh, launched an, a debt reduction campaign. This is our, our unleashed debt reduction campaign. We started in, uh, in January, and I want to announce to you that from January through March, we have reduced our debt on this building an extra $29,066.75. Isn't that great? Isn't it great to see that progress towards that 
that debt that we have. So thank you so much for being faithful to that. We're making huge progress, and I look forward to the day when we are able to uh, burn that mortgage whenever that day comes. So please keep up the good work there, and, uh, and, uh, and we'll, we'll see that day eventually get here. Uh, let us stand now. Let's greet each other in the name of the Lord. Let's share the joy of the Lord with each other as we greet each other.
please pray with me. Our gracious and loving God, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. We come confidently and in faith. But we also recognize that you're the great God of the universe and that you rule both heaven and earth. And so we approach you with awe and wonder. We cannot begin to comprehend you and your awesome power and wisdom, but we can trust you, and we know that you do all things well. You're too wise to make a mistake, and you're too good to be unkind. And so we come to you as your children, seeking the assurance that you are there. We need you, O Lord, and we need a sense of your presence You know us well. You see our joys and our sorrows, our frustrations and our fears. You see our strengths and our weaknesses, our victories and our failures. You see where we have been defeated and where we have failed you. And in spite of all that, you still love us and you still want to work out your will and your plan for our lives. We pray for today for those who have suffered loss, for whom grief is still an open wound. We pray for your spirit to be a soothing balm for their souls. There are many with physical needs. We pray for your healing touch upon them. And And there are others who face terrible dilemmas in their lives and are unsure of the days ahead. Give them the strength and the courage to take life one day at a time resting in your presence always. We pray for our community and the many areas of need. We pray for our nation, for the political wranglings that are going on, for the partisan uh, politics that puts concerns for the next election over and above what is good for our people. Oh God, teach our leaders the lesson that we all learned in kindergarten that it's best to play fairly and kindly and to solve our problems together. We pray for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world, some of whom are targeted for their faith. And we pray for our brothers and sisters of other faiths who are targeted as well. We long for the day, O Lord, which you promised will one day come, when all of our implements of war and destruction would be repurposed for the good of all. Come, Lord Jesus, bring your kingdom. As we worship you today, O God, fill us with your spirit. Allow us a glimpse of who you are and the demands that you have upon our lives, and then encourage us, O Lord, to strive forward to accomplish your goodwill in our lives and in our world for your glory. Amen.
request that if you next Sunday to bring in some uh, cereal for the pantry for Henderson Outreach. They're needing boxes of what? Oh, Kellogg Post. We don't know. Flakes. Uh, cereal. This any kind of cereal. Oh, by the way, come on down, children. And bring your box of cereal with you. No. to tell. Last Saturday, I went fishing with my friend Trevor. And I don't like fishing. I can't fish. I don't like touching the fish. I don't like touching the worm. I just wanted to sit on the dock and watch the fish. But no, I wanted to prove to Trevor that I could fish. So he went to the other side of the lake, and I sat on the dock and fished. But I fed the fish over here, so I was fishing over here thinking they'd all be over here. Well, I caught a big old catfish. I started screaming because I could not reel it in. And I was very scared of a fish that was still in the water. So I started screaming for Trevor, and Trevor running on the slow time he runs. He walks over to me, and by this point I'm crying because my fish is still in the water and I can't reel it in. Jika stopped laughing at me. <laughs> I was crying. <laughs> so when she comes over there, my line breaks, and the fish swims away with my lure in its mouth. I'm now bawling my eyes out, so upset because I think I have killed this fish. <laughs> the fish is not dead. The fish was fine. But I was very upset because I wanted to prove to Trevor that I could fish. And I didn't because I cried the whole time. <laughs> and that's not what I was supposed to do. But Miss Brittany is going to read a scripture today about some people that wanted to prove to Jesus that they, that they could fish too. And they didn't cry. But they lost faith that they could catch all these fish because they had been fishing and fishing and fishing. And they weren't catching anything. They were on this side of the boat over here fishing. But Jesus was standing on the shore, and unlike Trevor, Jesus was trying to help them. <laughs> and Jesus said, why don't you throw your fishing hooks or their fishing nets on this side and see what you can catch? And what do you think happened? How many do you think they caught? Just one? Twenty? A hundred? Three hundred. You think they caught all those fish? I could only catch one. How many did they catch? Three hundred and fifty-two. Three hundred and fifty-two. Yeah. There's they, the catfish with the lure. Yeah, the catfish with the lure. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. So, yeah, they did. They caught a whole bunch of fish. So what we're going to do is you're going to come up here and you're going to, we got our fishing net up here. And nobody's going to cry because everybody's going to be able to put a fish in the net. But I want you, I've got our fish up here. I've got my cute little fish. We'll put them in here. We're going to grab one of these fish, and I want you all to say something you're very thankful for. I'll put my first one in here. I'm very thankful for my church family. So I put my fish in the net. Look, the fish got away like mine got away. All right, so everyone's going to come up here, and you're going to say in the microphone something you're very thankful for. And we're going to fill up our net. All right, Georgia, come on up. Everybody's going to do it. It's going to be very fun. Friends. All right. Neva. Friends and family. Family and friends. Thankful for our families. Wyatt? Food and shelter. There you go. That's a good one. Food. <laughs> Animal. Animals, yeah, that's a good one. Clothing. Thanks. Thanks, 
Thanks, Wyatt. We'll put it up here so they can't get away. So Jesus provided all those things for us, just like he helped those disciples when they thought they couldn't catch anything. And unlike Trevor, when I couldn't. All right? So you guys will wait up here, and then you'll go up to Southern Church. Please read John 21, 1 through 19 with me. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gather there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples, or, I'm sorry, two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in, because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. So they caught 153 fish. That's a lot, isn't it? You guys were really close, though. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. There was now the third t- this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to, the si- appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your arm, stretch out your hands, and someone else will fasten a belt around you and you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate that the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord.
us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have much to be grateful for because of Thy faithfulness. You have supplied all, Lord. Help us to be mindful of that and take advantage of those opportunities. Help us also to be faithful in following You and loving one another. We ask that You bless these offerings, that they may build Your kingdom here on earth. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's so nice. Thank you.
since this is that time of the year when uh, Major League Baseball is getting underway, I want to begin with a story that uh, New York Yankees Hall of Famer Mickey Mantle once told on himself. It was about a game in which he struck out three times in a row. And he says, when I got back to the clubhouse, I just sat down on a stool with my head in my hands like I was, I was going to start crying. And then I heard someone come up to me, and it was little Timmy Barra, Yogi's boy, standing there next to me. And he tapped me on the knee, nice and gentle, and I figured he was going to say something nice like, you keep hanging in there, or something like that. But all he did was look at me. And then in that little kid's voice, he said, you stink. (laughs) Out of the mouths of babes, I suppose. That's not exactly the kind of encouragement you hope for at a time like that. But I want you to keep that story in mind as we look at our gospel, at our lesson from the gospel of John today. During today's story, Jesus' disciples were feeling a bit demoralized. And that may surprise us since this was soon after Jesus' resurrection. I mean, you would think that they would be exhilarated. But remember that these disciples had been through an awful lot over the past few weeks. We had the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, and then his betrayal by Judas, one of their, their own trusted friends, and their failure to stand behind him and their own near arrest and Peter's denial, as well as the tormenting sight of Jesus' crucifixion. And just when their morale was at its, at, at its lowest peak, there were the events on Easter Sunday, the resurrection and the subsequent appearances of Jesus. All of this was simply too much for them to take in. Their heads were literally reeling from all of this. These were events that human beings had never experienced before. And even worse, they exposed, these events exposed their own weaknesses. Peter with his denials. Thomas with his doubts, the others with their fear and their abandonment. So even if Jesus were alive, how could he ever count on them again? They had failed him just when he needed them the most. And that was why they were so despondent. It was not because they doubted Christ, but it was because they doubted themselves. So let me ask you something. Have you ever let someone down? You ever let someone else down in your life? And then after that, did you dread seeing them again? Not because they had done something wrong to you, but because you had failed them. And at a time like that, it may seem easier just to let the relationship go than to bear the shame of seeing that person again. Well, that's probably what these disciples were feeling, or at least seven of them, uh, Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel and James and John and two others that, we, that are unnamed. And so they decided to go off. They decided to take off for a while and go to the, the Sea of Tiberias. After Christ's resurrection, an angel had told them, had promised the the disciples that Jesus would meet them in Galilee. And the Sea of Tiberias is just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And for most of these disciples, Galilee was their home. It's where they came from. This was where they were reared. And isn't that where we often retreat when our lives are uncertain? to a place we feel comfortable, our home. There they were, back where it all began, by the sea. And then Peter said, I'm going fishing. And they all said, we'll go with you. Now this was significant. You see, Peter had seemingly failed 
at the work that Jesus had called him to do, which was to be fishers of people. And so it made sense for him to go back and do what he knew best, and that was fishing for fish. He was good at that. This being a a fisher of people business seemed too difficult for him. And and besides, he didn't know if he was still worthy of that call or not. He may have thought that that since he had denied Jesus on the night before Jesus' crucifixion, that he had forfeited the privilege of being a witness to Christ's resurrection. And so basically he was saying, I'm going back to where it's safe. I'm going back to something that I'm familiar with. I'm going back to something that I know that I can do well. And I don't know about you, but I understand that. I understand that sometimes when you are unsure about the direction of your life, the default reaction is to go to what you already know rather than simply trusting in God. And apparently the others were thinking the same thing. Because as soon as Peter said, I'm going fishing, they all agreed, wait for me. So they all went fishing. But unfortunately, they didn't catch a thing. These expert fishermen went fishing all night long without a single catch. Maybe the Lord was telling them something. I don't know. Maybe the Lord was telling them, no matter how good you are at something or how much you think it's for you, if it is not God's will, then it's all for naught. And so they caught nothing for the entire night. But then morning came, and Jesus showed up, just like he had on Easter Sunday. But they didn't recognize him at first. Perhaps the the distance or the lack of light in that dawning time prevented them from recognizing who he was. Or maybe it was something else. Because, you know, sometimes we also fail to see that Jesus is with us, don't we? Even in the midst of our failures, let me tell you something. Jesus is right there with us. Jesus is right there with us when all of our efforts have been for nothing. And it may be that we get so caught up in our failure that it keeps us from seeing Jesus with us. It may be that we are so distracted by the cares of our own lives that we can't see him And that's why he said, cast your cares upon me. Cast your burdens upon me. So let's pause for a few moments this morning and let's reflect upon the disciples' situation. Let's think about this. Could it be that failure is a necessary part of a believer's spiritual growth? Let me repeat that. Could it be that failure is a necessary part of a a believer's Christian growth? You know, one of the myths that is often nurtured by immature Christians is that following Jesus means that we will never fail. There's people out there that preach that. That we just move on from one victory to another. And that that mindset believes that, that failure means that God's not blessing us. People believe that if, if, if you're failing at something that God's not blessing you. You know what my response to that is? Hooey! Yeah. Hogwash. Hooey! Ask anyone who has ever accomplished anything significant in their lives where they learned their greatest lessons. And I will promise you, it is not from their victories, it's from their defeats. That's where you learn your best lessons. There was an article in Fast Company magazine not too long ago titled The Thrill of Defeat. The article was about uh, the Pfizer Pharmaceutical Company, which spends, listen to this, folks, spends $8 billion, with a B, billion dollars a year researching and developing new drugs. But the most amazing statistic about that company is that 96% of all its efforts in the laboratory end in failure. 
Most researchers employed by Pfizer will never work on a winning drug during their entire career. Nancy Hudson spent 15 years in the Pfizer lab working on 35 drugs, and not a one of them ever made it to a pharmacy shelf. Hudson is now the director of Pfizer Labs, and she oversees all of the scientists in research and development. And she said, we have to help researchers understand that only a tiny minority of them will ever touch a winning drug. We need our employees to realize that being faithful and focused on our projects, even in the midst of seemingly insurmountable failure, is just as important as almost everything else that we do. Did you catch those words about being faithful and focused? Does it work for Pfizer? Well, something does. Those thousands of failures have led to some spectacular successes. And Pfizer is now the largest pharmaceutical company in the world. So, you taught a Sunday school class and it didn't grow the way you hoped it would? Or you invited a few friends to church and none of them showed up? Or you prayed for a miracle and prayed and prayed and prayed for a miracle in your life and so far you can't tell that anything's happening? Can you feel the hand of Christ on your shoulder telling you to stay focused and faithful and don't give up? My friends, life is not about going from one victory to another, even for a Christian. No. Life is about learning and growing as the Holy Spirit works through you. And failure is simply a part of that process. Now, this is not to say that failure does not hurt. It does. And the greater crown that you are seeking, the more, hurt, the more it hurts when you fail. I read recently about a man named Sam Mayo, who at one time was a popular comedian in music halls all over Great Britain. And then, for some reason, his, his comedy fell out of favor, and he was basically forced to, to retire. And after retiring, it is said that Sam would, would stand outside some of these music halls listening to the applause given to other performers inside, and tears would run down his cheeks. Failure can be devastating. We read that Simon Peter wept bitterly after the cock crowed and he remembered Christ's words that he would deny him three times. Failure always hurts. But let me ask you this. Do you think Peter could have been as effective in his preaching? And remember, he became a powerful preacher on the day of Pentecost. But do you think that, he would have, that this would have happened if he had not experienced the grace of Christ after he denied him? Yes, he wept when it happened. It hit him like a ton of bricks. But he did not stay frozen in his shame. And neither should we. My friends, I don't care what kind of failure you have experienced in your life. A business failure, a failure of a marriage, even a moral failure. Christ wants to help you to redeem that failure. Christ wants to help you learn from that failure and use that failure to grow into the kind of person that God wants you to be. So remember, you and I will have failures. Everyone does. But listen to this. You will never be a failure until you give up, until you quit. And so the question is not whether we will have failures. Sooner or later, everyone will fail. But the question is, how will we respond to those failures? 
with fatalism or with faith? Let me give you a prime example concerning the first president of the United States, George Washington. Back in 1754, this was during the French and Indian War, Washington was a young major with the Virginia militia, and he was ordered to lead 350 raw recruits through the wilderness to a fort located in the, where the present-day city of Pittsburgh is. And the fort was occupied by the French. And so Washington's militia camped about 40 miles away, and they erected their own fort, which was called Fort Necessity. But when Washington's militia sought to engage their enemy, they encountered 700 French soldiers along with their Indian um, allies. And so they were outnumbered by more than two to one, and Washington and his troops were quickly driven back to Fort Necessity. Well, unfortunately, because of the location of Fort Necessity, it was impossible for them to adequately defend themselves because it was surrounded by hills and, and, and there were, it was the perfect hiding places from which the, the French and the Indian fighters could attack. And to make matters even worse, a lot of Washington's recruits were getting drunk. And in nine short hours... With, with 30 people dead and 70 wounded, many more deserting, the battle was over. Washington gave up his sword and signed an article of surrender. George Washington, the future father of our nation, lost his first battle, his first fort, and his first command all in one fell swoop. And as he limped back to his beloved Mount Vernon in Virginia, he made no excuses, but he also did not give up. Instead, he learned from, his, from uh, the Native Americans how to conduct warfare suited to the terrain, and it made him a better soldier and a better leader. He learned from his mistakes. So you see, no one is a failure until they quit trying. And besides that, failure is where we learn that God is with us. My friends, if you never try something important in this world, you will never learn that there is someone close to you ready to catch you when you fall. Lloyd Ogilvy uh, told about a friend of his who was a, a circus performer. And this friend described his experience of learning to work as a trapeze artist. He, he claimed that once you know, when, once you become aware that the net below you really will catch you, you stop worrying so much about falling. And, and actually, he said, you learn how to fall successfully. And what he meant by that was that you can con concentrate on catching the trapeze that's swinging towards you you concentrate on that and not on falling. Because after you have fallen so many times, you become convinced that the net's really going to catch you. And so the result of falling and being caught by the net allows you more confidence and more daring on the trapeze. And as a result, the le you fall less. But every time you fall, it makes you able to risk more. Because that net catches you every time. And folks, listen to this. That's one of the crucial benefits of a life of faith. Because you see, the more faith that you have, the less you have to worry about failing. So how do you get that kind of faith? Well, here it is. You've got to fail. We get that kind of faith by failing and then finding God's grace picking us up. That's where that faith comes from. Peter discovered it during his retreat to Tiberias. You remember what, how the story ends? The risen Christ and, and his disciples are seated around a, a campfire, much like the fire that Peter was standing around 
when he denied Jesus those three times. And then Jesus turned to Peter, calls him by name, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And what he meant by more than these, we don't know. But Peter answered, yes, Lord, yes, you know I love you. And so Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then a third time, once for each denial, Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you really love me? And we are told that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And so he said, Lord, you know everything there is to know, so you know how much I love you. And then it finally sank into Peter what Jesus was trying to say to him. Peter, I know why you came back here. I know that you came back here because you felt unworthy. And I know that, that you felt that way because you denied me three times. And I know that you don't feel like you are qualified for the ministry to which I called you. But I'm calling you out. And I am commissioning you three times so that you will know that I still need you to feed my lambs. I have applied my grace to your life and I have forgiven you for your past I love you, Peter, and I need for you, just like I did before, to become a fisher of people. And folks, I think that's what Christ's message is for you and me today as well. Regardless of how many times we have failed, Christ still needs for us to be instruments of God's grace and love. And so the question is this. Will you help feed Christ's lambs? Will you help bring this world to a knowledge of Christ's love? Will you learn from your mistakes and depend upon the grace of God? Will you get over yourselves and get on for God? Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Then feed God's lambs. Amen. You know, God is so amazing. You know, we are so... You know, it's it's hard to recognize how faulty we are as human beings. You know, we we just mess up time after time after time again. But the wonderful thing is that even in spite of all that, God is always there to pick us up and put us back on the right path. Isn't it great to have a friend like that? that's always there to pick you up and put you on the right path again. Well, guess what? We have a friend like that in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's sing about that friend now. Number 182.
let us go from this place in celebration because we have heard of God's great plan for humankind. Let us go in joy because the living Jesus has redeemed us. Let us go in trust and hope because the Holy Spirit guides us. And let us go in remembrance that God goes with us always, forgiving our failures, picking us up, dusting us off, and setting us back on our tasks again. Go and accomplish God's will for your life. Amen.